The new regulations of religious affairs law that went into effect in China last February has led to a widespread crackdown on Christians throughout the country. Although churches in China have a long history of standing up under persecution, even growing and expanding while suffering fierce oppression, our brothers and sisters need encouragement, help, and hope. Churches have been closed or torn down, house churches have been raided, and pastors and church members have been arrested, interrogated, and imprisoned. The Voice of the Martyrs continues to stand with our brothers and sisters in China, providing help for those affected by this new wave of persecution and strengthening the church with Bibles and other ministry tools. Your generous gift will remind these precious saints that they are not forgotten and that the wider body of Christ is standing with them. For more information and to help these Christians, go to ChristmasCare2018.com. That's ChristmasCare2018.com. And when you do, and when you donate, let them know Rebel Parenting sent you. God bless, Rebels. Woo! Rebels, it's that time. Can you feel it? Are you ready to be a great parent? Do you want to feel like you're back on your honeymoon? Well, we believe in you, and God believes in you. Rebels, it's time to join the rebellion. It's time for Rebel Parenting. It is time for Rebel Parenting. Rebels, hope you're having a great day. We've got a good program for you. And I just want to start by telling you, I've got this newfound love of being wrong. And I know that might sound crazy, but hear me out. When I'm wrong, I have the opportunity to learn. I got that from boxing. They said either you win or you learn. You never lose. And I'm going to give you a couple examples. A friend of mine makes commercials, and he made one last year, and they sent it to me, and I couldn't stand it. I was like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. I mean, I didn't just dislike it a little. I hated the commercial. And when it came out, it was a ridiculous smashing success. I mean, it's embarrassing how successful it was in light of my silly opinion. And I was having lunch with my friend. And I was like, dude, you've got to tell me why I was so wrong. I mean, what's the secret? What's the special sauce that I don't know? And he was cracking up and we had a great conversation. And it's true. I learned so, so much from him. And another one happened a couple weeks ago. I am a competitive ping pong player. I know the pros will say it's table tennis, but it bugs them when I say ping pong, and that gets me more points. And I was back in the club playing ping pong again, and an interesting thing happened. I could immediately tell who the best player in the room was. And it's because everyone was avoiding this guy like the plague. And I'm dying to play him. I'm dying to play this guy. And it's not because I think I can beat him. I know I can't. He's younger than me. He's stronger than me. He's faster than me. He's been playing consistently for years, whereas I haven't played at all in a few years. But here's the trick. Every single time I play him, I will get better. Every time I play him, my skill level will go up. But it's not true for him. Playing a lower level player, he has to work extra hard to improve playing someone like me. But me, I know the trick. And we've got to get over that mentality of hating to lose. Most of life is losing and you got to look at it as most of life is learning. And for today's broadcast, I was wrong about this book. We got a book in the mail called Cherish by Gary Thomas, and he wrote the Five Love Languages book that everybody has seen. And I saw this, and on the cover it says, Cherish, the one word that changes everything for your marriage. And I was like, really? I mean, okay. 
I couldn't have been more wrong. This book is amazing. The interview is great. He has so much wisdom to share, and we can learn so much about this word. This word that we say we're supposed to love and cherish in our wedding vows, and all we do is talk about love and never about cherish. That piqued my interest. So without any further ado, here is a great learning lesson with Gary Thomas on today's episode of Rebel Parenting. Gary, thank you so much for coming on the broadcast this today. It is apropos. We are right in the middle of our November challenge where we are trying to appreciate and be grateful for, uh, might I say, cherish our spouses. And mm-hmm. uh, it is making a big difference. So we are so excited. This book, Cherish, there is so much amazing stuff in there. I mean, really, we were just going over a lot of it thinking, wow, this is just loaded, loaded. with dynamite. Mm-hmm. Thank you for writing this what brought about this book? What brought about putting your spouse back into that number one spot in our lives? Hmm. Ryan, I was convicted by God. I'd been moving along in marriage ministry almost two decades. I'd written a couple books, Sacred Marriage, A Lifelong Love. Mm-hmm. And God convicted me. He reminded me of a promise I made in the traditional wedding vows that I think most of us promise and forget about. I promise to love and to cherish until death do us part. And I always focused on what love meant, sacrifice, service, commitment, perseverance, hanging. Mm -hmm. I never even considered that God wanted his daughter, my wife, to be cherished, that Mm. that he wanted me to be with her because I'm just supposed to be with her, but that I (laughs) develop a mindset where I celebrate her excellence, where I develop a certain affection for her. So it really was about being reminded that I made a promise and second, being convicted by God that he wanted me to do this for his daughter. But what I loved, I didn't anticipate this, but this is so God. Hmm. You step out in obedience and you get blessed so much. Oh yeah. I found life is just a whole lot better when you cherish your spouse and not just love your spouse. Mm-hmm. So when did this all unfold for you, Gary? Like, I love how honest you are in telling us about your story, and thank you for being honest about it. But when did your, this conviction... It's such a rare quality to have of a person that's written... I mean, you've sold millions of books, and to say, hey, I woke up one day and realized I wasn't really cherishing my wife. That's yeah. hard for an author to say. It's hard for a leader to say. Mm-hmm. These people go, oh, well, then maybe I shouldn't listen to you, and we get all that anxious nervousness. So when did this unfold? And thank you. It's right. Thank yeah. you, Laura. It was a weird thing, Laura, because it was like that word is hiding in plain sight. Even mm-hmm. as a pastor leading the vows of couples that were getting married, you know, it just it just becomes familiar. So you just don't see it. I, I can't say there was one day or one moment. It was a gradual unfolding where I was just convicted. I'd always focused on love. Am I being committed? Am I serving? Am I being there? Yeah. And I think that was good. And I just felt God challenged me. I want something more from you, your marriage than this. And so for me, it was first finding it out. What does it mean? What difference does it make in my own marriage? And when it started to make a huge difference, it was then, well, before I could do the book, is this something that can be taught? Is it something that can be learned? Is it something that can be developed? And I was so pleased to find out that cherish is like the opposite of infatuation. Mm. Infatuation fades and you can't stop it. Cherish can be chosen and built, and it just seems to me a much better foundation on which to build a lifelong love. 
I love wow. that you said it could be a choice. Absolutely. <laughs> it's perfect. Well, you know, you got that honeymoon phase where mm-hmm. it's so easy, and then cherishing is the lifelong honeymoon phase. It's that mm-hmm. part of it. That's so amazing. And you've got in chapter two, mm-hmm. it is so beautifully put because you've got the only man slash woman in the world. To go back to the original, to Adam and Eve, there was no other woman. There was no other man. And for you to say... It's so profound mm. and in a way so simple to say, my wife, Laura, there is no other woman in the world. No other woman exists in the world except her. I only see her. Or for her to say that about me, I mean, that has to change your marriage. That has to. Yeah, it's say just, that daily to your spouse. <laughs> yeah, there's no one else in the world but you. That's it. Mm. Well, you know, Romans 12 too says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that's the mindset that really impacts marriage. Mm-hmm. Negative comparison of your spouse never improves your spouse. I mean, it makes them feel discouraged. So they psychologically, I think it discourages them and makes them stop wanting to change. Some guys just say, if I can't please her, I'm just going to quit and give up. Yeah, I'm it done. never yeah. makes you feel better yourself. It never makes you feel more joy, more peace. It makes you feel frustrated. And yet it's like that kid with a sore tooth. We can't help pushing it with our tongue. Mm. Yeah, it still hurts. Yeah, it still hurts. And we do that mentally with our marriage. Yeah, still frustrated. Yeah, still disappointed. But when we get to that Adam and Eve mindset, mm-hmm. I'm not going to compare you to anyone. That it's not. I'm not going to balance you out. I'm not going to imagine what it'd be like with anyone. I'm going to stop all of that wasteful mental energy and focus on this. Mm-hmm. Cherish you. How do I love you? How do I appreciate you? How do I make our marriage the best it can be by helping you become the best you can be? You're saying all these things to cherish and to hold them in that light and to hold them in that space, despite no matter what story or narrative is going on, correct? Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And one of the things I say throughout is that the God who cherishes the imperfect us Mm. or the capable of empowering us and equipping us to cherish our imperfect spouse. Nobody gets to marry the fourth member of the Trinity. And so if if your spouse has to be perfect, no spouse gets cherished if they have to be perfect to be cherished. So it really is learning to accept it. And for me, it is just that laser sharp focus that I see with guys when their brides are coming up the aisle. For that moment, she is the only woman in the world to him. There, there's no one else. We're background furniture. We're in black and white. She's in living color. And she's challenging men and women. How can you make that a daily reality? So mm-hmm. focus on the excellence and the desire to cherish your spouse, that you're not considering someone else. You're just focused on them. Well, what's one way we can do that? Well, I believe the, the mindset is important. That is that you choose to have the Adam and Eve thing. But then out of that, the practices, there are a lot of things. One of the things I talk about is showcasing. And that's where I use, although I know nothing about ballet or dance. I've never been to a single ballet performance. I heard of a wonderful analogy. George Balanchine, who I, I guess is one of the more influential members of the dance community. He's a Russian-born choreographer. And he had this phrase, the ballet is woman. Hmm. And the whole point is that when people go to couples dancing, which they call pas de doom, they go to see the ballerina. It's her strength and her beauty and her grace and her athleticism 
that people come to see. And so the best male dancers, the ones that really succeed, that's their role, not to yeah. step in front of her, mm-hmm. show their moves, not to show their stamina or muscles. It's to support her and turn her and lift her because with a dancer supporting her like that, she can do more than she could on her own. Mm-hmm. She has a sense of security. She also has somebody assisting her. But it's not a sentimental dance, Laura. Maybe you know the dance community better. I'm sure you could. You could really. know. <laughs> but he has to know her weaknesses. Yeah. Because he's got to support her where she's weakest. And then he has to know her strengths so that that's what he's trying to frame for everyone else. Here's a place yep. where she's really going to shine. And so I just ask, because we're so often in our marriages thinking, why doesn't my spouse support me, love me, notice me, appreciate me? What if I woke up and said, I want to be that male dancer to my wife? And you can switch it. This isn't a gender-specific thing here. How do I showcase my spouse so that others can see my spouse's excellence, my spouse's Mm -hmm. beauty? Mm -hmm. That practice alone revolutionized my marriage. And Ron, I don't want to talk too long, but it fits in with what you're talking about in November and Thanksgiving. If I can keep going... Please do. Go for yes. it. It's perfect. Kidding? That's yeah. why we had you on, not to hear me talk. <laughs> we but need you. For me to showcase my wife to others, I had to first showcase my wife to myself. So one of the things I did, and I stole this from someone else. This isn't original to me. But for 2016, it ended up being my Christmas present for my wife. I got an empty book. It was a stationary book that had a blank page for every day. And I wrote out one thing a day that my wife did specifically that I could thank her for, for that mm. day. Perfect. Or something that I appreciated about her. So it wasn't just thank you that you're loving. It's today when you came home, you did this or that, or I so appreciated this or that. And so throughout 2016, I mean, I had this book that was growing. I wrote it out in longhand of two, 300 things, eventually 366 things. Last year was a leap year, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Where I just celebrated her excellence. And I remember in the summer being nervous because I thought it'd be more meaningful if I wrote it out longhand. So I took it with me when I was traveling and I thought, what if I lose this? I mean, it's impossible to remember to replace, but even if I had, I didn't, I didn't, but, (laughs) but even if I had, it would have been a tremendous gift to my wife as it was to me because it changed the way I thought about her, the way I treated her, the change the way I talked to her. And I don't know, maybe I prayed for some one issue in our marriage, maybe once in 2016, but it, it's difficult for you to ask God to change something about your spouse when you have a list literally of 275 things in whatever that is. I'm not very good with math in October where you're celebrating your wife and then, oh, but God, can you change this one other thing? And so by basically it's just Philippians 4.8, whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of praise. And I just want people to think what that does to your marriage, because I know Mm. along with some of your challenges, when the first thing I woke up, I had to open up that book Mm. and think up something new. You can't Mm -hmm. write the same thing. And so throughout the day, because I know I'm going to have that date with my book in the morning, I'm scanning my wife for excellent things to remember and mention. If she's having a bad day, I'm not thinking about that because I'm not going to write that down. So it's sort of like just flush that out, find the good in that day. And look, it made my wife cry. She said, you found something to say even on my bad days. And and then my my oldest daughter is so funny, kind of tells you about her. She goes, sheesh, dad. 
that's like something you see in a Hallmark movie that nobody right. really does. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a wonderful exercise so that I got eager to show her to others. But to showcase her to others, I had to first showcase her to myself. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. I love that. So it's funny that you use this because I had questions about that before you said it. So because I was asking, you know, there's the spouse that said, you know, I love my spouse and I'm going to write those things down, but there's this one thing that really bugs me. And I think about it all the time. Does this change your focus? And you've answered that. Yes. It's, it's hard to ask the Lord to fix things in your marriage. If all you're focused on is the good in your spouse. I would ask that spouse, do you believe scripture? Now, obviously it's rhetorical, but if very likely they're going to say yes. And then I would follow up with James 3, 2. We all stumble in many ways. If yeah. you believe the Bible, God is telling you your spouse is going to mess up in creative and energetic ways, and they're never going to stop messing up. And so you can think your marriage sick by focusing on that. But they, you yeah. married them. Maybe they have addictions that they have basically under control, but they still have to be careful. They have mm -hmm. a bad day if the triggers show themselves. Maybe they have hurts. They can't help being insecure because the way their parents raised them or issues with their siblings or whatnot. And so the whole point still of cherishing <laughs> is to bring out the best. I love George Balanchine, besides saying the ballet is woman, he said, my job as a choreographer and a male dancer is to make the beautiful yet more beautiful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cherishing is a strategy to release the beauty of your spouse, knowing that they're not perfect, but as you cherish them, the perfections rise and the imperfections get muted, at least a little, but they'll never be erased. Listen, I agree 100%. So, Gary, how long have you been married? 33 years. 33, awesome. Okay, I've hit 12 and <laughs> I'm- You're the expert here, Gary. So, here's the thing, I'm getting better at this. I'm not good at it. And so if I'm only getting better at it, I'm thinking of those who've been married a lot less years than I have. And and when we take on a challenge like this, where you're writing down something you love about your spouse every day, sometimes I'm immature and it feels like I get off balance where I'm looking at all these great, did you tell your wife ahead of time you were gonna do this? No, I kept it a secret. Okay, even better. So in secret, you're listing every day just amazing things about your spouse. I mean, you're writing them down. You're thinking, I can't believe it. In 366 days, she's going to freak out. And this is going to be such a great gift. And, you know, a month in, a month and a half, two months in, do you ever feel off balance? Like, man, I'm writing all these things down. I'm doing all this stuff. And is she doing that? Is, is that what's going on over there? Am I getting cherished? Am I being felt like this? I know that's an immature thing. I also know it's a human thing. How do we deal with when we feel maybe off balance or taken advantage of or something along those lines? It's immature. It's still reality. I've written elsewhere, Ryan, not in Cherish, but in other books. It was in Sacred Marriage. I think one of the biggest assault on marriage is pride and one of the biggest friends of marriage is humility and mm. what's helped me is the understanding no woman owes herself to me no woman owes it to me to stay with me and to put up with my stuff and so i've gotten to the point where i want to appreciate everything she does because marriage is such a ridiculous commitment Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, you're, yeah. you're committing to make yourself so vulnerable to each other. Your spouse can make you miserable. They can torpedo you. And I've seen that happen. And maybe, oh, yeah. you know, maybe as a pastor, and you probably get this in what you do. When we hear the worst stories, 
of what mm. people put us through, it, it just kind of says, well, you know, at least I don't face that. So maybe, maybe my perspective is skewed, but I do think part of it comes from the fact of we have these expectations where our spouse is supposed to do this, 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 and this, so they don't get credit for oh. it. I don't I kind of remove the this, 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 and this, and like, thank you that you still do that. Thank you that we can still enjoy that. Lisa and I just went for a bike ride the other day. So I'm 56, she's 53. And she's worked really hard. Just she health matters her. She may be the healthiest eater in the world and <laughs> and, and she can't run because of chiropractic issues and whatnot, but she'll bike and does her bouncing on this little trampoline thing and whatnot. And but I remember telling her, I said, you know, I'm just so grateful that you're able to do this still, that, that, that you're keeping yourself up to the point where we can go out, we can do an 11-mile bike ride, and you're enjoying it, and we can enjoy the stage. Mm. I don't take it for granted that my wife at 53 can go for an 11-mile bike ride and really enjoy it. Yeah. So it's just, I think it comes back to humility. What do you expect? Why are you so special that you deserve the ridiculously high commitment of marriage that God calls us to. I love that. You know, that's another one. I was telling people, I do a live video three days a week, and I was saying, you know, at 47, it's harder to stay in shape than it was at 25. And, you know, you hear people say, oh, my wife got more attractive the longer we were married. And I was thinking, come on, how can that be? She was younger, she weighed less. I mean, all those things early on, and then as you get older, those things go away. But here's what I've realized as a husband. It takes so much more work that I appreciate it more. I know what goes into it, to stay in shape, to have your hair done, to get dressed in the morning on top of kids, lunches, house cleaning, co-hosting a broadcast. I mean, all the things Laura does and work out. Really? And work out? Are you kidding? Man. And again, what you said, they don't have to do any of those things. You don't have to get up in the morning and get dressed and take showers and look nice and do those things and cook food. You don't have to. You're choosing to do that. And I should appreciate that on a regular basis. And how would I feel if someone appreciated me for all my just regular stuff? You know, mm. like, hey, I took the trash cans out. And someone's like, hey, man, thanks. I'd be like, oh, all right, cool. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's just well, a regular thing. Yeah. You know, something I'd say to the younger dads, too, that I noticed when uh, Lisa and I are empty nesters now. And so I went for a run over the summer and it was probably unwise. I waited too long in the day. And I, I live in Houston, Texas. So it can be Ooh. 95 degrees, 90 percent humidity. Yes. I really wanted to get it in. I wanted to get some work done. So I kept putting my run off. And so I'm gone a little bit longer than Lisa thought I would be. She's watching the television and they had this, you know, you should be inside. This is really good. No. So she gets yeah. on her bike with some electrolyte lace water and a towel. No and way. I'm just stumbling back and I see her and I just thought, man, she's the best. She goes, I, you know, I heard on the report how hot it is. I thought mm -hmm. you should have been bound and I want to help you out. So she got me about a mile and a half from home, which was just perfect. But here's the thing. If, Did you get on the handlebars when she rode you home? <laughs> oh, no, I had to go back with the water and the towel. It was fine. But here's the thing. If that had happened, let's say, 20 years ago, when we yes. had three kids and a golden retriever, Ooh. and she was homeschooling our kids, she wouldn't have noticed that I left the house. Yep. I, I would have come in, and she probably would have said, you went for a run in this? Have you lost your mind? And... What I found is a lot of times we falter wise, and I just say, guys, it might not be her. It might be her situation. Yeah. Mm. Because when a wife is pulled in 10 different directions, she has her own job. She has three kids. Maybe she's taking care of her own parents. She has her own friendship she wants to get. 
But what you find, if you marry a caring person, when those kids leave and the dog dies, not to be too morbid, all that caring gets poured out on you. Yeah. And those empty nest years can actually be pretty sweet. But the golden it, years. <laughs> it, it does yeah. call for empathy because I think when you're talking to people that have often been married 5, 10, 15, even up to 20 years, mm-hmm. both husbands and wives are pulled in a hundred different directions, and sometimes you just have to give each other some slack. Again, maybe it's not them. Maybe it's their situation. They yeah. want to care for you, but they're just exhausted from caring for everybody else. You well, know, Gary, just... let, let hold on one yeah. second. Let's flip on that flip side. What what if it is them? You talk about in your in chapter ten. This is how your spouse stumbles. So. How would we do those repair attempts when you're letting your spouse be human and struggle and sin and live with that? And I, I'm walking women. You just described where I'm at in life. So I'm walking with all these women that are in these struggles. And I would love some feedback on how to stand with your spouse. In a struggle. Yeah. In a struggle. When there's the struggle being one of time, Laura, or no, the struggle being one of sin. Say, um, they've struggled with pornography or alcoholism or kind of what we touched at the beginning. But how do you walk that grace out with them? Because you've got that phrase, if only he would just stop, or if only (laughs) she would stop this, you know, where then I'd be happy. (laughs) How do you walk through the sin that your spouse struggles with? You know, they can't be perfect, obviously. Well, you mentioned pornography, Laura, so let me just go there for a second. Mm -hmm. If a woman has two or three kids and a house to run and whatnot, and then she finds out what her husband is doing, he's got to own that fight. Mm -hmm. That's his fight before it's her fight. And that means repentance. That means transparency. That means he's getting his job done. And Mm -hmm. what I found is that sometimes wives take that on. And it can bury them when it's not their battle. And, and it's, okay. it's, it's, they jump in much. And I, mm. I, you know, I would say the same thing with drinking or whatnot. I, and I would just say to the young guys, and look, I'd say to the wives too, listening, if you throw an addiction into your spouse's life when their life is already full, that is just so unkind. Mm. But, but, but at some point, I think any addict listening to me would know this, Laura, you've got to own that addiction. You've got to own the recovery. Yep. Your spouse, what I've heard a wise counselor say the moment I feel like I care about this more than you care about getting free of this, we're done. Yep. Mm. And I, I think that's kind of what you have to do where, and the reason addictions, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. It's not just what you're addicted to. If I'm addicted to anything, I can't cherish my spouse. A true addiction, you lose the ability, the freedom to cherish someone else. You will sell your spouse out for that addiction. In the case what is so awful about this is that his wife's very presence keeps him from acting out with pornography. And so he starts to resent his wife's presence. And cherishing is about celebrating your wife's presence. It will destroy cherishing attitude in marriage. And so I think there you kind of have to be tough and you have to say you can't have me and this and I'm focused on the kids, and you got yourself into this, you made some choices, and I want to support you, and I applaud wives that do that, and I applaud husbands that do that. But at some point, this is your battle. You've got to lead the charge, or I've got to focus on other things. Because if Yeah, it's time to put on your adult pants. (laughs) Be an adult. Take care of your life. If the kids lose their dad because of the addiction, Mm -hmm. it's more cruel to make them lose their mom. 
Oh, I'm going to use that. Sorry, I'm going to steal that one all over the place. But we coach. We don't counsel. I'm not a PhD. I am not qualified. We put people with good counselors, but that is a great one. You know, kids losing a dad, it's not fair to lose the mom at the same time because Mm -hmm. she's trying to be the savior for the dad or vice versa, whichever way that goes. You know, Gary, in this book, you were vulnerable earlier, but you talked in uh, chapter seven, it's called I Almost Quit. And, you know, marriage is, I I was at a banquet. I was doing a banquet for a pregnancy resource center and we have rebel parenting, obviously, and they were asking about it. And I said, raise your hands if you're married. And almost the entire place raised their hand. I go, you've got one thing in common with everybody else here. You've all got marriage troubles. And it just got dead quiet silent it was the biggest <laughs> awkward and i i think it's funny so i start laughing i'm like that's a surprise really but nobody wants to talk about it we are terrified to say we fight with our spouses or we've thought about quitting or we've thought about what it might be to be married to another person and you wrote about it and i appreciate it because it it allows people to take a breath maybe and say oh I'm not unique in this. Other people have felt this way, and I appreciate it. Can you unpack it a little bit for our listeners? Yeah, Yeah. well, I think I addressed that more even in Sacred Marriage. It came out in 2000, and I think the reason it had the impact it did, what other pastors told me, it was one of the first books that would admit, I don't mean to say one of the first, but one yeah. of the ones that got a reading that said, even the best of marriages are difficult. Yes. And I think wanting to show how powerful Jesus can be, and here's five steps. We underplayed the difficulty, and so we think, well, you come to Jesus, and then marriage gets easier. Yeah. And I said, no, it's not. Even the best are difficult. And that, but there was even a guy that challenged me to a debate, which I had in Dallas a couple of years ago, because he said, we shouldn't stress the difficulty of marriage so much. It's discouraging to younger couples. Hmm. And here's the thing. Here, I, I knew this debate was coming up, so I cheated. I was speaking to 500 couples in Idaho uh, a couple months before it. So we've got 1,000 people. And so I said, I want you all to stand up if you're married. So all of them are standing up. Stay standing if your marriage proved to be easier than you thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Five, five couples stayed standing. Really? Now, even as an English major, I'm like, I could do that's 1%. But then I was at the book table and a couple came up and said, Gary, we have a confession to make. I said, what's that? Well, we're one of the couples that stood up. I said, yeah, uh-huh. we've only been married 10 days. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. So it, it was less than 1% if you want to be fair. And I look, I've always thought marriage is a difficult relationship, but if I had 100 lives, I'd want to be married in everyone. And so I want to prepare younger couples for infatuation to die because it will. Mm-hmm. But then to suggest that cherishing is something that you can grow after infatuation begins to fade. And that's a real important thing, I think, because you can't get infatuation back, not with the same person. You can develop a cherishing marriage. And that was really what I wanted to carry through the book. That's perfect. Oh, I love Thank that. You. So, Gary, before we go, you've got a great thing in Chapter 12 called Easier to Cherish. And you just spent a year writing down things you love about your spouse. And as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, I'd love for Laura to feel that way about me. I know I'm kind of stubborn and I I kind of raise my voice at times and I'm working on things, but I would love to be easier to cherish. And I'm sure there's a lot of guys out there that are like, I don't know, I just step on landmine after landmine. I don't know what I'm doing. 
what are some of the ways as spouses we can make it easier for our spouse to love us and cherish us? Yeah, and the wife's perspective, because I'm sitting here going, oh, I've been grumpy. <laughs> so let's let's hear it. You know what? I think going through this book, I've done a bunch of interviews, Ryan. I think you're actually the only person who's asked this question. It's fascinating. I think what? Yes, I'm serious. <laughs> And, and I think it's important because we have this romantic notion. Why can't he just love me the way I am? Why can't she just accept me for who I am? And I'm like, well, you know what? That's romantic nonsense in one sense. Mm-hmm. I have I, way I, too low yeah. self-esteem to think something like that. I'm like, wait, what? No, You're I, a Gen Xer. I'm sure I need help to be loved <laughs> the way I want to be loved. So it's like if you want to be drafted by the Dallas Cowboys or the Seattle Seahawks, well, make yourself big and fast. You know, yep. I mean, it's like, There are things that you can do to make it easier. And I do think it's incumbent on us if we want to be cherished. You know, I think for guys, what women really appreciate is a spiritual sense of maturity. They don't want to carry that ball. They, I think keeping ourselves free from addiction. We mentioned keeping ourselves up physically. I think um, if we want our wives and if we want your husbands to be intimate with you, I think we can say, well, there's a certain commitment I'm making to make myself a person that is inviting and mm-hmm. now they knew when they married us, we're not perfect. And I think every guy knows and every woman knows, look, I've, they can't see me. You can see me. I, I actually had more hair than my wife when we first got married. And now I have to put on something to stop the shine when I preach on Sunday. And Amen, somebody- brother. Me too. <laughs> so there are some things we can't control. But, you know, I think if we act with compassion, gentleness, patience, kindness, self-control. I'm just giving out the fruits of the spirit. When you do those things, I think you become a very pleasant person to be married to. And ultimately, when guys say they want respect, I say, live out Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Have spiritual purpose so you're not selfish. Selfish people are boring. Selfish people are annoying. Look for something bigger than yourself. Pursue his righteousness so you die to the things that push a woman away and you develop the qualities that invite a woman to be intimate with you, ultimately, you're helping to make yourself more cherishable, which is, I, I think, something that we should should do. Wow. Gary, this, I just, it's so great. I knew it would be. I mean, we were talking about it ahead of time. I yeah. knew it would be great. It's so much better. You are a fantastic, Thank you. fantastic guest. Thanks for this book. Thanks for your time. And I've already told our producer, we're going to get Sacred Marriage as soonly human possible, and we will have you back on again. Love to do it, Ryan. Thank you. Good to talk with you, Laura. Thank you, Gary. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Our big thanks to Gary Thomas for coming on Rebel Parenting and sharing so much with us about the word cherish and how it can radically transform your marriage. I hope you had a great Christmas, Rebels. Go out and cherish your wife, cherish your husband, cherish your kids. Teach them what that word means. Have a great day, and we will see you soon. Rebel Parenting is produced by Rebel Media House. And when you need a little help with your marriage or parenting, and everyone does, you can find it at rebelparenting.org. Sign up for the Rebel Update by texting the word REBEL to 444-999. That's R-E-B-E-L, and the number is 444-999. We love it when you share Rebel Parenting with your friends and family, so thank you. God bless. Thanks for spending your time with us, and we'll see you next time for another episode of Rebel Parenting. Rebel Parenting.